Welcome to Carve Your Own Fucking Path, a podcast featuring candid interviews with unconventional entrepreneurs who are boldly building a business and a life on their own terms. I'm Willow, your host, media coach at Be Seen Productions. As a media coach, I meet you and your team where you are to improve your on-camera presence and storytelling. Together, we create engaging videos you'll be proud to share far and wide. All of the guests on this show have a really big mission and inspiring story to tell. You'll hear messy truths and unconventional paths of entrepreneurs who are showing up and being seen when we dive deep into that experience. I'm excited for you to meet my next guest. Okay, let's get to it. Welcome to Carve Your Own Fucking Path, Mike T, music executive and a producer. And he's live in the studio, which is pretty awesome to see behind the scenes. We met each other six years ago outside of, I think- Six it, years. If I do my math right. We're considered old friends at this point. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> we go way back. And we met each other outside of a nightclub in Medellin, Colombia. Okay. And, and I remember meeting you and your friends were like, do you, do you know who he is? Like- He's a, he's a big time <laughs> music guy, music executive. And so your friends were, were definitely, you know, telling me who you were, which was cool. They've also probably had a couple drinks in at that point. <laughs> True. I, I think we all had had. <laughs> definitely. And so I just, that's a little bit of like how we met each other. And, you know, ever since then. Yeah. I've been following you, of course, online. I got to see you a few years ago when I was in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And really, I mean, you have a very interesting story, which I'm excited to dive into because you have like blazed this trail for yourself. And when we spoke just a little while ago, you had said that this was something like music was something that you knew you were going to be involved in. Mm -hmm. It's one of the hardest industries to get into. I can only imagine. I have no idea. That's what they say. That's what they say, <laughs> right? And so I think, well, first of all, thanks for being here and for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for story. having me. Of course. So take us back from when you decided that you're going to start carving this path in music. Music. Okay. So, I mean, music has been in my life for many, many, many years. Um, I think as a young kid, you know, my dad was a guitar player. Mm. And so he specifically played the Spanish classical guitar and he would be wow. playing the guitar all the time at home and uh, just kind of jam it out and stuff like that. And so the guitar was really the first instrument that I, I really fell in love with. And so when you're asking a little bit about like, okay, like, I guess the better question is probably like, like when I fell in love with music itself. Mm -hmm. That's probably what it was. And, and I attribute a lot of my love and appreciation for music definitely to my father. Um, like I said, as a young child, he was always playing the, the guitar. And the funny part is that I actually never played an instrument for mm. many years. <laughs> so when I'm talking about like appreciating music, it literally just means me listening to my dad play guitar. Okay. And so, you know, growing up as I got into my teenage years and, and junior high into high school, and uh, I started getting into hip hop a little bit more. 
Um, the area that I grew up in, uh, which is at the, I mean, at the time in Toronto, it's kind of notorious for being a little bit more of a lower income area, you could say. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my neighborhood very much had a lot of hip hop influences. So a lot of my friends were listening to it. A lot of our uh, culture and upbringing very much like revolved around this hip hop thing. And so you kind of had this weird clash of Spanish classical guitar and like <laughs> hip hop, which in a lot of ways didn't really mesh much, right? I would kind of go to school and, and my friends would introduce me to things like Snoop, people, artists like Snoop Dogg or like Dr. Dre or Eminem. Mm -hmm. And I'd go home and listen to Carlos Santana, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I think what really drew me to music was just the feelings that I got you know mm -hmm. um I think as a kid I was never really I never really felt like I fit in um and this was because a lot of different reasons I at that time uh was being taken to church every Sunday uh Christian church specifically uh -huh. and my parents had me go to a Catholic school, which at that time was supposed to be more disciplined and whatnot. Um, I was in a predominantly African-American area. So obviously mm -hmm. I'm not. And so I kind of had that disconnect there. And then um, later on, I went to high school. My parents moved me out to an area called Woodbridge, which was predominantly Caucasian. And so between my kindergarten to high school years, um, you know, I, I didn't really feel accepted anywhere. And I didn't really understand this. Un and, and I'm getting somewhere with this, by the way. This is hey. not a therapist thing, but. Um, <laughs> I want to hear it all. I, I sound like I'm like going through therapy or something. But uh, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, during my time growing up, you know, a lot of kids get asked like, hey, what do you what do you want to do when you grow up, right? What do you want to be? What are you mm -hmm. what are you passionate about? What do you like? And the issue that I had was like, well, I don't freaking know, right? Like I I I was in a place where I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. I didn't really feel like I had similar interests to different people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I go to school and almost like uh try to connect with with the hip hop thing, which didn't really connect with me. I would go home and listen to this Carlos Santana stuff, which obviously was kind of left field for me as well. So uh, I'd go to a Christian church while going to a Catholic school. Um, I'd be, you know, the one Chinese, Indonesian, Asian kid in a predominantly African-American area. So it was, it was just like a confusing time. Like I didn't know how to identify what I wanted because I didn't know who, I was in a sense, you know? Okay. And so when I listened, the only thing that I knew coming out of high school was that like, I had this feeling when, whenever I listened to music, it was mm -hmm. the only time that I actually felt like, okay, like this is actually something I enjoy, I actually want to do, right? Um, and so, and I have a feeling that I like feeling, like the feeling of acceptance and the feeling of like, I don't have to pretend or try to fit in somewhere into some sort of mold and so that that's really the feeling that I wanted to hold on mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. as I went into my future. And so when I graduated high school, I went into university and I just told myself, man, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no idea, but I love this feeling. This is the only time I'm very confident in the fact that this is what I want to be when I grow up. And I kid you not, right be- before that, when people used to ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. Even right up high school, I would tell them I want to be a ninja. Wow. What did that mean? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It was uh-huh. literally an answer that I threw out there when I was younger. Mm. And I just kept on using it as a joke almost. <laughs> as if like I'm being it. comedic. You yeah. know what I mean? But really deep down inside, I'm like, I don't freaking know. Like I I I don't know. I like music. That doesn't really answer your question, but I don't know, right? I don't know where I'm going to be. And so when I went to university, I told myself, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes to feel this feeling, Mm -hmm. the same feeling that I have when I'm listening to music and I'm, you know, like just taking it all in and, 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 and feeling comfortable, feeling at peace with where I'm at and feeling like I'm doing what I want to do and feeling like I'm being what I'm supposed to be. Um, And that was really the feeling that I was trying to chase, you know, and look for. And so I got into university, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it all. I don't know what music, you know, careers there are. I don't know how to get into the music business, but anything remotely connected to music, I'm going to try it. Mm-hmm. So I went from trying photography to shooting, you know, musicians, right? Okay. To doing open mic nights, to uh, engineering and mixing live shows, to promoting clubs, to connecting with DJs, to emceeing clubs. Uh, even in first year university, I literally purchased a hundred dollar mic from the music store here, Long and McQuaid's. Um, literally plugged it into my laptop and started recording people. I'd be like, hey, like you need a studio, come over to my dorm room and record your demo. You know what I mean? And this is literally what I was doing. And, um, you know, little did a lot of these artists know, like I was charging these artists a little bit as well. Like back mm. then, be like, yeah, like I'm an engineer. You know what I mean? Little did they know. I was like, well, I'm going to just, yeah, that's, that's, I have a mic. I could press play. I can press record. Like let's, let's do it. Right. So I was literally trying it all. Until finally, uh, in my final years, I actually signed up for this. This is going to be so funny, but because I look back at these videos, my wife and I look back at this video and we die of laughter, but I actually signed up to become a Much Music DJ. So for those of you who don't know what that is, Much Music is basically kind of like the MTV of Canada, essentially, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, or was at least. There was, you know, top 10 music videos of the week type of thing mm-hmm. and you had a vj and they would interview celebrities as they came into town and give away contests all that stuff right and so i signed up for this thing uh made this like three minute video or whatever it may be and i didn't get it by the way but uh during that time period i put it out on youtube now mind you this is like 2000 nine Mm. maybe 2008 2010 so like this whole idea of social media was not really a thing at that moment you know like things like marketing and advertising still meant 
you know, posters on the wall and, mm-hmm. and, and flyers at the door. Yeah. Um, it was a different time, you know, and I, for whatever odd reason, put this thing on YouTube. And then I remember starting a Twitter account. Wow. Early adopter. Yeah. Super early. I got the Mike T handle and everything. M-I-C-T-E-E. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went, I was, I, again, I was doing it like out of like, oh, like my roommate was like, there's this new thing called Twitter. You should try it out. All right. Like, <laughs> so I started tweeting about my video and long story short, in the city of Waterloo, Kitchener, Ontario, uh, which is where my university was at, it quote unquote, I kind of got viral. You know, I ended up amassing like 5,000 followers in the span of like a week. My video, my, my audition video got like 20,000 views, which at that time was like, holy crap. Like, I don't even know 20,000 people, right? Like, how did I get 20,000 views type of thing? (laughs) I would be like walking around campus and people would recognize me like, yo, like, I love your video type of thing. And I was like, this is so cool. Right. And um long story short like I kind of started experiencing this feeling of popularity and so that popularity ended up landing me a situation uh with this rap group on campus because what had happened was you know I don't know if you remember the song by Wiz Khalifa black and yellow black and yellow oh yeah love that song so I don't know if this happened in the states but in Canada specifically Ontario all the colleges and universities did kind of their rendition of it, you know, and like use their Mm -hmm. kind of school colors. Ours was Laurier, Golden Hawks. Our whole thing was gold and purple. Um, And so we shot a video, all this stuff. We threw this big party. Uh, I felt so cool back then. Now that I look back, I'm like, it was kind of a loser probably, but uh, (laughs) I mean, the video, cut it out. (laughs) <laughs> and we, and then you know after getting so much love for the 20,000 views on my audition video we literally we ended up amassing 50,000 views again in 2010 maybe 2009 type of mm-hmm. thing again like my yeah. popularity went got bigger and that ended up leading me to uh joining a group on campus called the AT and basically what this team group is was they were the student group in charge of booking all the shows uh kind of like interacting with a lot of the concert bookers and managers mm-hmm. of artists and I was meeting people like Carnell Fischel and um you know Mariana's Trench and um I'm trying to think who else Metric so a, a lot of cool people that I ended up connecting with so that was kind of my first experience with like the quote-unquote industry I was able to kind of meet artists and managers um, and this whole idea of of popularity, essentially, you know, Um, during that same time, there was a club being opened up on campus called The Turret. And they were going through a rebrand and uh, changing a bunch of different things. And the big thing that um, they were trying to get on board was an MC, so somebody to basically host the events. So I ended up getting hired on board because um, they they saw like, well, look at Mike's following on Twitter. Like, we need all the students to come out. If he tweets about this, 
like mm-hmm. all these students are going to come out. So I pretty much took advantage of, of the popularity I had on social media at that time to bring out as many students as possible. So I was out here, like, I probably was getting paid, like maybe like a hundred bucks a night, like mm-hmm. every Saturday, every single Saturday. And they'd give me a bunch of free drink tickets uh, so I could give them out type of thing. So I was literally everybody's best friend. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone wants totally. the free drinks at the club, right? <laughs> yeah. You're the guy. Yeah, I'm the guy. And so when I graduated, I pretty much took all this experience that I had and basically told myself, like, hey, let, let's let's just start connecting. You know, uh, I was hearing all this stuff about like in music, you got to network, you got to connect and meet with a lot of people. And, um, and so that's just kind of what I did. I continued on a lot of my relationships that I had with um, program like music programmers and managers, picking their brains, reading mm-hmm. books. And until finally, I, I, I met my manager at that time, um, who brought me on board as a songwriter. And wow. I, uh, it was an interesting experience because be- before that time, I was kind of doing my own artistry ever since the whole Black and Yellow remix thing. So I was kind of rapping, actually. So mm. uh, I was in the studio. I was working so hard. I was it was literally one of those situations where like I churn out maybe 50 songs in the span of like 50, like a couple hours type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it was like, I was in it to win it, you know, like I was like, I'm going all in type of thing. So I got noticed by this manager, I got signed on Bard for management. And then things kind of started rolling from there because that manager ended up going out to Miami connecting with um a guy named pharrell um and that's kind of when things started snowballing i started submitting music to pharrell um and he was connecting with other people like florida pitbull uh justin bieber's manager so my music that i was writing here in toronto was literally getting out in florida to all these different artists um specifically as a ghostwriter and ghost producer so Mm -hmm. i was kind of in the background nameless basically um but kind of somewhat enjoying some of the lifestyle of experiencing and connecting with some of these these um atmospheres right and these Mm -hmm. these worlds for that matter okay so identity is so huge because you went from it sounds like just having a passion for music and that i love that you talked about the feeling that you were you were driven by a feeling that you were wanting to recreate. It was like, was fame, fortune, and this lifestyle, was that even in your in your vision? Or was it like, I just want to have that feeling? Not initially, not initially. Because like I said, the only reason why I answered that, like if nobody asked me what you want to be when you grow up, I probably would never have thought of it. You know what mm, I mean? Yeah. Because like... It, when you're growing up, you get asked this question all the time. And I, I mean, I, I mean, this is my opinion. I think it's one issue that a lot of kids have coming out of high school mm-hmm. is that they're expected to have this understanding of, of an answer right. to answer this question, right? It's yeah. like you ask them this question. That's a, like, imagine being like today we're a little bit older imagine being asked hey what do you want to be in 20 years right such a hard it's ridiculous 
Yeah. Like, it's not even like, what do you want to do? Like, what do you, what do you see yourself uh, being around or what, like, what do you want to be? That yeah. is a loaded question. It is. You know? It's, it's such cultural conditioning as well, because first of all, it's, it's always forward moving, right? There's, it's always the future. It's never like rarely in the moment. That question is, like you said, it's very loaded. It's a lot of pressure. And it sounds like in your childhood or, you know, as a teen, there was a lot of pressure on that. Was it coming mainly from your parents? Uh, partially, partially, mm-hmm. but I think it's more so, I, I don't know where exactly it came from. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think, you know, when you're growing up, everybody asks you that, right? It's not just your parents. Yeah. Like I don't put it on my parents, mm-hmm. um, you know, family members, friends, even teachers, right. obviously, um, they're always expecting us to be able to answer this question, you know? And, and yeah. like I said, like my answer was ninja because half, because I was trying to be funny, but mm-hmm. the real half was more so, I didn't know how the hell to answer that question. Yeah. And I, realistically, you know, at 13, 14, 15, 16, and older for that matter, Hmm. it's very tough to believe that we as a society expect them to be able to answer that question and if they can't it's like this kid's going nowhere in life you know like (laughs) right you gotta start thinking of your future you know it's like no like I need to think about that question because I don't think I could answer that Mm -hmm. and it's funny because it's like if we actually allowed people to sit back a little bit and say Here's the question. Uncover it a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. People would probably turn out a little bit more happier and a little bit more focused, a little, a little bit more clear, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I think that's what I felt, you know? That's why I threw out that ninja thing because it's like, well, at least somebody's going to laugh about it, right? <laughs> right. And then to see people's reaction. Exactly. As well. And so when you, that is such a great story of like, you know, just putting yourself out there, one thing leads to another, that level of confidence that it sounds like you had. So like that entrepreneurial element where you're charging people, like you were charging people in your dorm room to come and record. Where did that come from? Was that just something you, you just started playing the role or did that take a while to develop I just thought that was what was supposed to happen <laughs> you know what I mean like mm-hmm. yeah like you go to a studio you pay the studio and the studio makes music for you and that's just kind of this was my ideology of music right mm-hmm. like you and, and that, like I said like, I didn't know there was I mean, now I do that. There's so many different positions in the music industry and any industry for that matter. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. Um, but at that time, it's like, well, I mean, like, if I want to do music, I guess the only thing that I could actually do is make the music. Mm-hmm. I think I could be good at it. And obviously, a job is to pay the bills. So I guess I should charge people for doing it. 
so that I could pay the bills. So then maybe I could answer this question of what are you going to be when you grow up? You know what I mean? So it's like it all stems back. Yeah, exactly. That that's really my my mode of th- my pathway of thinking, I guess. And um, it's so funny that you say like confidence because I think uh, I definitely wasn't confident back then, or at least deep down inside. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Yeah. Really? Okay. You know what I mean, not so at that- all. So the next question, and this is always something, you know, when I talk to entrepreneurs, but especially like unconventional ones that are completely, you know, like you doing your own thing. And it sounds like you, you were playing this role and you stepped into it confidently. Now that's on the outside. What was going on on the inside is, sounds like it was much different. And so when you started interfacing with these huge names writing their music how did was this like tell me about that experience um did it feel surreal was it like for sure for sure for sure when when it first started so I probably started doing this stuff probably in 2011 2012 right so shortly after university Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of other stories in between that time period, but that's probably when things started off. And when it was first happening, I was ecstatic, obviously. When mm-hmm. you're in, in rooms and like when you're in a studio and you walk outside and Pharrell's pacing back and forth in the parking lot or so- like, you know, it's it's 10 p.m. at night and you go grab some some tea and um, I look beside me and Lil Wayne's grabbing some tea beside me as well. it's it's interesting right like it's kind of like I sometimes I have to kind of like okay like I hope I didn't stare too long there you know what I mean like yeah like don't be awkward um yeah so um so yeah it was definitely surreal surreal and and I think um for me personally speaking I, I think it was this it was a very big confidence booster because when you start being in a close vicinity to these type of people, you really start realizing and understand, because these are people who are very much loved and beloved for that matter in society, you know? Mm-hmm. And like yeah. I mentioned, when I was younger, all I wanted was to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I'm beside these people, it almost gives me that feeling of like, oh man, like I'm, I'm loved too. I must be kind of loved right mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm a, a couple degrees apart from these people like I, I must have some of that and I think the thing that started snowballing that feeling was when I started traveling around a little bit more so I, I wasn't really seeing a lot of my family members and, and my friends and I was missing a lot of stuff but every so often I would come home and come to a wedding you know Mm-hmm. and I would be the talk of the wedding I'd be like oh like did you talk to Mike he was like with Chris Brown last week at the club or like yeah oh, like did Mike tell you about the-? like I was like the shit you know like I was like um sorry can, can we swear Is uh, that- the name of okay. <laughs> I figured <laughs> um, yeah I, I felt like yeah. I was the shit right like yeah. I, I I felt so cool I had like this you know puffed up chest as I'm walking around and like uh, people would tell me like, yeah, like, you know, I'm finishing up 
my master's or something or yeah like I just got this job at this accounting firm and I'd be like yeah like I, I was just at uh, a VIP booth in Miami with DJ Khaled right a couple of days ago type of thing. Mm-hmm. But that's the type of conversations I was having and um, in a lot of ways it kind of gave me this confidence that now I know was kind of false confidence in all honesty mm-hmm. um, and and right up to my friends when we were in Colombia, right? My friends yeah. are like boosting about me. And um, I'm sure like, I hope you remember, like, I don't like talking about this stuff. Like personally, I don't. I do. You know? that, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm actually a very timid person. I'm very to myself. I don't typically like talking about my personal life. I don't typically post a bunch of my personal. I'm only doing it now mm-hmm. because, um, you know, it's social media and like, my publicists and marketing people are telling me like, you gotta be more personal, little Mike. Yep. And, um, but you know, like naturally I, I very much, uh, I wouldn't call myself an introvert, but I like being by myself. I like being quiet. I enjoy sitting back a little bit and allowing people to speak. So even like those moments when my friends are like, do you know who this guy is? Like, do you know who he's aligned with? Blah, blah, blah. In my head, I'm just like, oh, man, like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, well, you're the very funny humble. part is that I wouldn't even call it humble because like, I feel like people who are humble are like, they try to like, they're in this peaceful place where they're confident in themselves that they don't have to talk about it. I'm more so fearful. Like mm. I, 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 I. And thinking about what that other person will think. Like, are they going to think I'm cocky? Are they going to think I'm boasting a little bit or showing off, you know? Like, I think about this stuff. To this day. To this day. Absolutely. To this day. And ironically, um, you know, I'm I'm in this hip-hop genre that is super braggadocious and super, like, (laughs) flashy. And... um, And yeah, it was just kind of this weird conflict that I had deep down inside where like I started embodying this this confidence, like at weddings, I'm puffing my chest and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But deep down inside, I was like cringing almost, you know, and um, yeah. yeah, I wasn't happy in all, mm. a lot of ways. And what was that? Mm. Can you can you like talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so when I got into music. Um, I quickly realized there was a, because mind you, there's one part of the story that I'm kind of leaving out, which is that I did do some nine to five work Mm. in an office prior to this, in between stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, the story I always tell my current artists that I work with, um, an artist that I'm kind of giving advice to and whatnot, so there was one point where I was working in downtown Toronto, nine to five, Monday to Fridays, right? Uh, Friday mornings, I'll wake up super early to get to the office super early so I can leave with my suitcase straight to the airport, take the first flight out to Miami, mm. work for the weekend and stay there till Monday, like midnight-ish. Mm-hmm. catch the red eye back to Toronto just on time to sleep a couple of hours and then catch my 9 a.m. Wow. shift on a Monday. And I was literally doing this for like a year to two years. I don't recommend this for anyone, by the way. Really? Like I, I look back now and I'm like, 
damn, like I was killing myself. Like that was, and and I think for me, it was like, I was embodying this whole uh, music industry. I'm on my grind, I'm doing my thing. You know, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? And which leads to my next thing that I was getting at, which is that I quickly found out that there was a difference in ideologies in the, in the office atmosphere mm-hmm. and the creative realm. Mm-hmm. And the funny part is both these different types of people talk shit about each other. Ah. Like you yeah. have the people in the office jobs being like, no, like you can't make money off of music. Like, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. And then you have people in music being like, well, like, yeah, they're just like nine to fivers. They're just accountant jobs. Like they don't understand blah, blah, blah. And in a lot of ways, because I was so accustomed to being around these creatives and these music people who, who were almost downplaying the importance of a nine to five or like the mm-hmm. validity of a nine to five. Right. I started embodying that myself. And like, I started thinking like, yeah, like I don't need a nine to five. Right. I don't need to work in the office. I'm going to work myself. I'm going to do mm-hmm. creative work. I'm going to do what I love. You yeah. Know? I'm doing it all. Like, I'm like yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna party on Fridays if I want. I'm gonna party on a Tuesday if I want. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I'm gonna drink if yeah. I want. I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, like go to the studio and stay up until five a.m. in the morning if I want. I'm gonna do it all, right? Mm-hmm. And I, we kind of spoke about this the other day, and it's so funny because in chasing this life with no borders and limits I put myself in a life with borders and limits Mm. because when I started thinking that way I started like well I can't have a girlfriend right no I can't do that I can't go to all the weddings of my cousins no I can't do that I gotta work right I'm a I'm a music guy I gotta drink right like and and I was starting to embody like put myself ox of like well this is the music guy so like i got to do this yeah so the and identity so funny. was was exactly. crafted yeah from exactly okay that is this is so fascinating because <laughs> because you've li- you were living in two worlds at the same time again and sounds like this did you feel like the push pull as in you're in one kind of trying to identify with the 9 to 5ers like make a living, be responsible, and then you have the other? At that time, no, because at that time, I was fully Mm pro-creative, you know, self-employed dude at that point, you know? So I was, in a lot of ways, trapped in this creative mindset where, like, I don't need this nine-to-five, Monday to Friday. In all honesty, the only reason why I actually went for it is to show my parents, hey, like, I got this degree, I, I did I did go to school by the way mm-hmm. all the kids listening out there I did go to school so I got a degree in honors philosophy business management I also got a post-grad in corporate communications and public relations wow um so I did all that um huge advocate of education by the way mm-hmm. um however way that looks for people out there right yeah um and I got the nine to five thing because I was like okay like to prove to my parents and prove to myself that like I could get a job you know 
Mm-hmm. And when I did that and it wasn't that hard, I was just kind of like, I could probably do this. Like if I go for music and all else fails, I could probably do this again. I could probably apply again and get another job. Mm-hmm. Like this wasn't that tough. It took a little work for sure. Took a little time, you know, I got a couple of rejections, but I got a job, you know, like it, it wasn't impossible. So I was like, well, Hey, I mean, like, I still love music at that point. Right. And, um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I was at, but to answer your question, I didn't feel the push and pull. I think internally I probably did feel it, mm-hmm. you know, but externally and like in my mind, I was very much, I'm a creative dude, you know, like I'm a, I'm a music guy. Thanks for listening to part one of the interview with Mike T to catch the second part of the interview, head on over to the next episode that says part two. I'll see you there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode brought to you by Be Seen Productions. If you enjoyed this conversation, find and hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you want to go ahead and leave a five-star review, that would be amazing as well. If you're looking to elevate your on-camera presence and create engaging videos, check out bseenproductions.com or just connect with me directly on email, willow at bseenproductions.com. I also hang out on Instagram at whereiswillow. Thanks again for being here. See you in the next episode. Until then, keep carving your own fucking path. Thank you.